Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Mace Wakwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, man. How are you? I... <laughs> well, I say all right. I mean, all right, as well as can be. Yeah, I mean, the season's over and it started again. There is no season. There is just season. Do you know what's so weird? Lucy Bronze could have played in the Women's Community Shield the day before she played in the Champions League final for Lyon. Also, actually, to be honest with you, yeah, so basically... Chabot Bozeman passed away at the weekend and that was very difficult. And I tried to get out to just clear my head a bit, but I couldn't because it was too dangerous to be in my favourite parts of town mm. because of the protests going on. So I had to come back in and sit with it. And shouldn't have upset me as much as it did, I was thinking, because, you know, Chabot Bozeman was an amazing actor, but didn't know him, never met him, never came close to meeting him. But I think he just symbolised kindness and hope. And yeah, I don't want to sound too dramatic about it. It's just like, it was difficult and I didn't expect, the only way I felt that badly about someone I didn't know dying was maybe Prince, sounds dramatic, Prince, Nelson and Winnie Mandela and Tony Morrison. And I, it, that's, that's wild to even put it in that category. I but, don't think it's wild at all, man. Well, the reason it is, is just, I don't know, it's just because they symbolise, they just symbolise something happier for black people. And I had a lot of people calling me up, contacting me. To be honest, I didn't answer most, answered your text because you're a good friend. I basically didn't answer most calls or texts I got. I couldn't. I basically tried to walk out and I basically survived. Mm. The idea was to spend a few hours outside the flat mm. and I basically like collapsed against the wall. That's really dramatic, but that's what happened. And then here's the funny thing. I came indoors <laughs> and watched, of all things, the Women's Community Shield, which was amazing, as if they understood that people needed entertainment to move beyond this. And... uh yeah, it was, was kind of like, it was a bit of a Marvel movie arc to the well, Community Shield, which we'll touch on. Loads of slapstick, yeah. but also just, uh, you know, when someone needed to come with a power move, there was a power move. Exactly. Not, and I don't want to get too heavy. Do you know what it was? And honestly, weirdly enough, the moment the game finished, I was fine. I was literally fine. Yeah. I think what you were saying before, actually, about the thing that was going on in Berlin was, combined with it, was probably, it was like that day. Yeah, I didn't, do you know what it was? It's, I hate even overstating I just, there was a part of me that was just like, if I meet them, I'm going to walk right through a crowd in the middle of them. Like, it was yeah. funny. I was wearing my bright yellow Stadio t-shirt. I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, if I see any of them. Energy. Yeah, it was that's weird. A, that was, that's a Martin Brathwaite energy. It was a Martin Brathwaite. <laughs> Can I have the number 10? Give me the number 10. <laughs> for those who don't know, for those who've been hiding under a rock, um, Messi's department departure from some see crisis as an opportunity and Martin Brathwaite, there needs to be a Martin Brathwaite award for seeing crisis as an opportunity. Messi's about to leave Barcelona and Martin Brathwaite's like, oh, that number 10 shirt, um, it's lying around. Can I you have can just it? just imagine like, hey guys, uh, I just wonder if you've got a minute. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, just, uh, I was just passing. And, uh, you know, with Leo potentially leaving and stuff like that, I was just, you know, is there any chance I could, um, you know, maybe, maybe get the number 10 shirt? <laughs> Do you know what's funny? You know, in the Bible, you know, in the Bible, how like seven seals open and the apocalypse begins and it's like, you know, the rivers of blood and like, you know, the star falls into the, into the river and it turns to blood and there's a plague of locusts. I actually think the seventh seal opening is Martin Brathwaite asking for Messi's number 10 shirt. I think after that, the angels are like, we're done out here. We're done out here. Before we move on to football, yeah, we want to obviously just kind of say it has been quite a heavy weekend with everything that's been going on for people, especially stateside here, the stuff with Chadwick Boseman. So stay well. Thoughts are with his family and friends and, and anyone else who's going through it at the moment. Um, if you'd like to be cheered up, I would like to read you a couple of emails that we got from people. Oh, wow. So we had one from Mike Jones who said, uh, let's be honest. In both of your two dream career paths, there's no way one or both of you are saying no to one of your favourite club legends to play in the MLS for a cash grab final few seasons. <laughs> Musa, 
Is there any way you're saying no to Beckham, the owner, or dismissing Beckham, the player's recruiting pitch? The Galaxy would fly you into LA. Bex would meet you at some chic rooftop bar in West Hollywood. Then in his high-pitched British accent, he would say, Hey Musa, come play with me here. Live among the famous movie stars, where it's always 75 and sunny. Can we have it in Celsius, please? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he's, 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 saying he's, he's saying he's Rilo Bex. Rilo Bex. No, it doesn't. No, 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 no. <laughs> Musa, <laughs> come join us. <laughs> and you will, and you could live on the beach without fear of submarine pigs. I think that's quite funny. <laughs> um, for Bex the, o- for Bex the owner, it, for Bex the owner, it's essentially the same pitch, but in Miami. He says, Ryan, uh, based off somewhat the t- same timeline, your pitch would come from Henri for New York Red Bulls. Henri would meet you at some Michelin star restaurant in Midtown. He'd say, "Come to the city that never sleeps." live in some great apartment in Soho. Where roll next? Well, there you go. I mean, he'd lose me at that point. I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> Walk out. This, isn't, this is not a serious football club. <laughs> <laughs> and hang among the fashion models and icons and do it all while living in anonymity outside of the English paparazzi. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Cheers, Mike. He did send in a question about whether we can do something related to Ewing theory. Now we're on the ringer. And yes, we are, we are aware of Ewing theory. So maybe we'll do some footballing Ewing theories. What's Ewing theory? You know, when you take, take your best player out and the team gets better. Oh my God. Well, Zlatan's the ultimate Ewing, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we say this a lot, like Coutinho at Liverpool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And another email before we move on, because we've been going quite long in this opening segment from Robbie Still. So do you remember, do you remember when I said that there was no way of like, you can't really prove whether, what someone wears changes results. Yeah. 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 So Robbie, (laughs) Oh, Robbie, 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 Robbie. (laughs) (laughs) So Robbie is a data scientist. He works in ecology, analyzing data on bats and trees for his day job. He went through and looked at the data from StatsBomb from the 2018 World Cup. He looked at whether there was a relationship between the playing style of the team and what the managers wore. Then he said there's a fairly strong correlation. And it's only a three or four minute read. <laughs> and it's called a, stat- a statistical analysis of a manager's sartorial and tactical choices. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> so if you go to RobbieStats.com, R-O-B-B-I-E Stats.com. Thanks for that, Robbie. That's incredible. Empirical data. Empirical data. <laughs> We've now got the data to back it up. Right. Today we're talking about Women's Champions League final, yep. both community shields, and we're going to do some mailbag in part three. So we'll get into it on the other side of this. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Olympic Lyonnais wow. have won their fifth Champions League in a row, their seventh overall. They beat Wolfsburg 3 1, ending Wolfsburg's unbeaten run of 40 games, which stretched back to the Champions League quarterfinal in March 2019, where they were beaten by Lyon. Lyon are now unbeaten since June 2018 a run which stretches 64 matches in all competitions. And 
They won 3-1 and they looked hungrier than ever. And this time when they beat Wolfsburg, they were further ahead than they were in that quarterfinal. Mm. They actually looked better in this game. They looked terrifying. This was their best performance by far, I think, of the knockout phases. Um, and actually it reminded me a little bit of the way they, they opened this final way they opened against Barcelona. Incredibly intense. And they just blew Wolfsburg away. Mm. They blew them away. And there's no other way to look at it. Like Matchery was really struggling from open play in the previous rounds. Mm. And she was transformed here. Cascarino was extraordinary. Oh, player of the match, right? I, if... <laughs> The only player I would have maybe put slightly ahead of Kaskarin would have been Kumagai. Kumagai had a great game, yeah. Kumagai was out of this world. They were both, they were both extraordinary. They're both extraordinary. Well, I mean, we'll come on to her goal, but yeah. her goal, I tweeted saying that was a, was a big goal in terms of the finish, but also the timing. My God, yeah. That was the pivotal goal of the game, I thought. Yeah, it was the match winner. I agree with you. No, um, Kaskarino was extraordinary and just destroyed Leon down the left. But they just uh, could not deal with it down that side, like with Lucy Bronze and Cascarino. I mean, that is... And then well, as you had Sara Bjork, Gunnar Tortilla as the right-sided kind of centre midfielder anyway. Yeah. Who knows this Wolfsburg side inside out. If Wolfsburg agreed, then she could have got, also got a runners-up medal for this competition. This is, such a, this is such a quiz question for the future. Which player in the final of a tournament was eligible for a winner's medal, no matter who won? Unbelievable. She literally joined Leon from Wolfsburg before the knockout stages. She scored the third goal that put the game to bed, kind of didn't realise and went, celebrated really wildly and then obviously realised who she was playing and then just stopped, which I thought was kind of quite sweet, actually. Yeah, and it was, she was brilliant. She was she brilliant. She was brilliant. I mean, just going back to what I was saying, though, I mean, like Lucy Bronze linking with Gunnar Stottir and then Delphine Cascarino down that right-hand side, that is a problem for anyone. Anyone. I mean, there is no... <laughs> I mean, Lucy Bronze gets a lot of hype, but having seen her in, in person, it's hard to convey how good she actually is. Like, yeah. it's rare. That, I mean, the athleticism, the technical ability, the decision-making, and the stamina for yeah. 90 minutes. Like, the final last year when they played Barcelona, she completely dominated the whole flank. She yeah. was essentially playing three positions. Yeah. In one, that's how good she is. And I think that with her and then Delphine Cascarino on that right-hand side, it's like you're dealing with more than two players, actually. Can I be honest with you as well? The problem for Wolfsburg would be, this is exactly the combination that destroyed them in the quarterfinal. Just when the game was pivotal, I think they drew, I think Harder got two in five minutes or something. And and just when the the tie was drawing level, they stepped up on the right. Bronson Mm -hmm. Cascarino did it again. I think Sophie Lawson mentioned this. She was like, look, Wolfsburg knew this was coming and didn't fix it. Mm. They didn't fix the left flank, their left flank. Janssen did a really good job there towards the end of that half, um, but the damage was kind of done. If they'd managed to avoid the second goal, maybe it's closer. The problem is that Wolfsburg were not creating a quality of chance. There's one moment when Pop crashes the box. It was in the, it was really revealing. It was in the first half when Pop comes in for a header and basically ends up in the back of the net mm. because the keeper claims it. And she basically makes this amazing run from deep. And I thought to myself, that is the desperation of a player who knows that not many chances are coming from open play. The way that Pop attacked the ball, if we get into it tactically, if we're honest, Gunnar's the tier and Kumagai, in terms of how close they were to each other the entire game, their understanding was great. Unfortunately, like Pop and Engen, Engen who just really had... Just I think she struggled. She really struggled. You know, she struggled for a couple of reasons. I think tactically she was isolated the centre midfielders weren't close together it's a tactical issue I think as well she got swarmed a few times and you saw by Mm -hmm. the end she just lost confidence because there was one I think the final action of the game she sort of lost possession and Leon broke and I looked around I thought to myself the amount of times that she didn't have good passing options Mm -hmm. and uh, this is a bit of an indictment of Wolfsburg's shape they played with a 4-4-2 right and you had Harder and Payor but then you had Payor maybe as it's like 4-4-1-1 Mm. And I never liked that shape, Ryan. I never liked it because you get outnumbered in midfield against a team like Leon, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why they didn't get a midfield three. And Payor, instead of being like an out-and-out one, I've noticed it a few times this season, you get away with it against less good teams than Leon. She'd pull out to the left. Instead of occupying the centre-back, she pulled out to the flank like a winger. Mm. But she got no change at all. She'd pull out to the right, which she did against a lot of her smaller teams earlier this season. It worked. But if you try that against like Leon's fullbacks, 
they'll just swallow you up. And I thought her time would have been better occupied trying to basically draw out the centre-backs. Yeah. And they, they, I never once saw a moment, I never once saw a, ch- a, a time where the Leon centre-backs, including Renard, you would have thought that like in terms of Payor's pace, to try and get in behind Renard and disrupt her playing out would be a good, a good move, but they never really tried that. I think and that was maybe Payor's tactical instruction to pull up wide. If mm. it was, I think it was wrong. Like, Yeah, I agree. I think the, the, the main sense. concern, I think for me, I think Wolfsburg are better when they show no fear. Right. It's a massive cliche, but it's totally true. And I think the problem that they did in this game is that they showed way too much respect to Leon. I think if they'd really gone at them, I think the 4-4-2 or the 4-4-1-1, from the jump, it just looked like they were trying to, yeah, contain Leon. And it's like, you don't want to contain them in a final. You want to beat them. Yeah. And this is a Leon side that is without a former Ballon d'Or winner in Ada Hagerberg, who's the top goal scorer in the, this competition ever. They're also missing... Uh, Amandine Henri. Amandine Henri. They were also missing uh, Nikita Paris. They're missing key players. And this was really the time to go at them because like having Eugenie Lasoma up front on her own is not their strongest configuration this season. It was last season as part of a three, but it's yeah. not this season. And it might have been a little bit bold, but I would have really loved Wolfsburg to have gone, a, to have been a little bit braver. This is the thing about this Leon team. They smell uncertainty mm. and they will pile into the gap. And I think one of the reasons, you know, Kumagai actually was interesting because she really forced the tempo in this game, like yeah. containment to an extent in the semi-final. But this time I think she was a lot riskier with her passing mm. in, in a good way. And she was combining a lot higher up the pitch. And I thought, whoa, this is really assertive, really aggressive. Like they've obviously seen a gap here and they just piled into it. You know, it was mm. like, it was like watching... <laughs> It was, like, it was like watching teenagers break into a festival. You know, <laughs> you walk around a music festival, your fences, you're like, oh, there's a gap here. And like 50 of them just, 50 <laughs> students just pile in. It was like that. Let's talk about Kumagai's goal because- Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, let's get into it. This was the key moment of the game, I think. Yeah. 20 minutes gone. It was nil-nil. And I actually tweeted saying Leon were three nil up already at this point last, in last season's final. Right. It wasn't soon after they actually scored. And I was like, oh God, have I done this? Yes, you have because, but the intensity was the same. But it was still pretty tight and Wolfsburg just needed to get it to halftime. If Wolfsburg, had, if, if Wolfsburg got to halftime 1-0, you could kind of justify their setup a little bit, really. Mm. Um, but then Kumagai scored that second goal, which, I mean, it was really, really smart how she did it. She just like used Alex Pop as a little bit of a, to blind the keeper and went yeah. round her. Beautiful strike. And, you know, I love yeah. about that strike. Ned didn't hit it too hard. It's what I call, I've called this, it's like a forehand winner. Clean. Yeah, you don't, you don't need to like, you just caress it. 70% of the power, maybe 65% of total power, just nice. What I thought was really good about Alex Pop was that on the slow-mo, she put her arms behind her back, obviously for the handball thing, but she tried to put her head in the way. Yeah. You know, like most people would pull, pull her head away from a shot like that. She's like the opposite. She's putting her head into it. And uh, she actually got the goal back for, for Wolfsburg in the second half, which... I was, I was searching for ages for this gif and I couldn't find it. And by the time I found it, it was too late to tweet it. But I was basically like, you know, in Rise of Skywalker, when Ben Solo's hand appears at the very end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know it reminded me of actually? And in terms of a footballing dynamic, I want to draw a parallel just to jump across the men's football very briefly. Wayne Rooney's goal against Barcelona in the 2011 final. Big shout. In terms of the gap between the teams, in terms of how one team came to contain and one, key, one team came to demonstrate and to play and make a defining statement, the way that Pop scored that, it reminded me of that, refu- it was that warrior energy. It was that refusal to go down without fighting. And mm. it was just the whole, when, when Rooney scored at Wembley, that incredible strike, and he just roared and he was like, no, you're not, not on my, this is, in many ways, yeah. that's the quintessential Rooney goal. Because it's like, no, I'm not afraid. Like, even with, faced by the greatest team of all time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Rooney is like, there is no way in hell I am having this. And it's one of those moments when you can imagine Pep thinking, ooh, Rooney's a false nine in my team. My goodness. <laughs> now that would be a shout. It goes but, all like, you know, in the big Lebowski, where it's just like, eh, the dream <laughs> secret. <Like> Pep, <laughs> Pep's imagining. <laughs> just Pep in a dressing gown holding a white Russian. <laughs> and I think what I love about the greatest compliment to Pop would be that any club side would love her in their starting 11. And the way she scored that goal, like the ferocity that she claimed around to the halfway, and I thought to myself, 
however much longer she's at Wolfsburg, I'm like, that is just you. You will score more spectacular goals than that, mm. but you won't, you will never turn up on time more when you are needed than that. There's nothing more Alex Pop than a goal that requires her to go and get the ball out of the net herself and turn around with a big clenched fist and be like, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's big Alex Pop energy. Peak Pop, exactly. Um, but then uh, it was kind of in vain because Gunnar Tortilla got the final one, which was basically just stuck a leg out and deflected a shot in. Yeah. And that was 3-1. And hard to argue that Leon don't deserve it. We had a question on this because obviously Leon are the dominant force in Europe, mm. in the world. We had this question from Megan Clement who said, well, first of all, she was saying, imagine if any other club in Europe invested in their women's teams the way that Leon does. Anyway, Okwanga and Ryan Hearn. I love that. <laughs> I love it. Here is my what if. What if literally any other club bothered to provide equal facilities and investment for both women's and men's teams? Now, I think we mentioned it on the what if episode where we talked about the FA banning women's football in England mm. a little bit. But yeah. Leon are a prime example of why I don't understand anyone's pushback on funding or attention that women's football gets. because. They made a commitment a decade ago to invest and treat the women's team with parity to the men's. Yeah. Same facilities, same culture, massive level of investment. Same energy. Same energy. They're amazing. They're amazing. Now imagine if every club did that because they've got the resources to really. I went to this, um, there was a team in Sao Paulo, women's team in Sao Paulo, amazing team, right? I was out there doing a documentary a while back. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't mention I was in Sao Paulo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did I mention no, I was in You actually haven't. You, it's, you, oh my God. You've, you, 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 didn't, you didn't drop that in. It's taken the, the okay. slow reveal. <laughs> the, 20, the, the 25th mention of the, I was in Brazil doing a documentary. <laughs> so the, <laughs> and the women's team we spoke to there, it was, they had so much pushback at first mm. because men were really threatened by it. And they were like, oh, it was really bad. Like, but now they don't bat an eyelid when we come by. This is like two years later. And at first the pushback was really severe. Everyone was like saying this and saying that. And now they just get on with it. And I think if another few clubs can just have the fortitude to push through, I said to Megan on, on Twitter, like it will take absolutely years for teams to catch up to Leon because what you're saying at the end of the era, Wolfsburg actually do a bit of a dip now. Mm -hmm. They lose Penil Harder. I think it's actually probably more of an end of an era for Wolfsburg, really. Because I think this club's going to struggle over the next few years. Man, well, it's sad. It's sad for them. It's sad for Wolfsburg. But I mean, just to jump slightly to Chelsea, uh, that team. Well, yeah, let's do. Well, why don't we go to the Women's Community Shield while we're here? Because we're going to talk about the, men, about the men's yeah, community shield after the break. It. So, okay. So, I mean, Chelsea. I mean, this is this is the thing. Like Chelsea are in the Champions League next year, along with Manchester City. This was a good fixture to kind of see where both sides are without a lot of key personnel still. Mm. Chelsea have the jump on City just because um, the chemistry. This, obviously, City just have to integrate their players. No problem there. So they're where you'd expect them to be. But my God, Chelsea looked good. They really did. Even <laughs> with some dreadful finishing. Like, all, ah. oh my God. Do you know what was really amazing about it? So Millie, you probably saw the rounds, like Millie Bright's goal went, did the rounds on Twitter. My word, yeah. And like, Millie Bright's a centre-back. She doesn't score many goals, right? And it was almost like Millie was like, Really? We signed you lot. I've been here for ages. All I get is shit for playing for England. How I should be dropped for Leia Williamson. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the ball. Get out of the way. I'm a centre-back. That's Why exactly you lot missing from 12 yards? That's, That's what exactly I just how it felt. That's exactly how it felt. <laughs> like, I'm done with this. What are you all playing at? The funny thing with Sam Kerr was, you know what it was? Sam Kerr's thing was, that is just such pre-season. Like that it is, is the, so, it is so like, pre-season. It really is. You could see her being, she was just like, oh my word. Because here's the funny thing. With strikers, it's really interesting. There are times when your radar is just permanently off. Mm. Just off. Some days it just doesn't, it does It's like a kind of, it's like a writer's block for a striker. She basically, yeah. stri striker's block. You can call it striker's block. Striker's block. block. <laughs> striker's block. <laughs> she was just, and it was amazing because it wasn't the, um, you can tell it's a true case of striker's block. It's not the narrow misses. It's the inexplicable misses. And you miss one, you just miss them all. The best thing was, and I'm not to like, you know, not to laugh at her, but it's just, you know, it's a gentle thing. Her sheepish expression on the bench. She was I like, know. bad day at the office. Well, the thing <laughs> is, it just happens to everyone. I mean, you've got to remember, like Chelsea didn't have Champions League last season. Exactly. And yeah. the Women's Super League got cancelled in March. So it's five and a half months without any football. And same for Manchester City. Manchester City weren't in the, in the Champions League. They were, they were already out at this point. 
So they didn't go to the, the final eight. Yeah. This is a Chelsea side who won the league, who are going to be a major threat in Europe next season. I think they're a massive shout for the Champions League. Actually, I, yeah, I think they're the only, I think they're second only to Leon at this point. I yeah. think in terms of pre-season favourites. But I actually thought this was a really, really entertaining game. And obviously Manchester City, I don't think will mind a huge amount about the result. Obviously everyone wants to win stuff like this, as we'll talk about in the Men's Community Shield. You know, they got Rose Lavelle to come in. Right. I mean, yeah, they're not too worried. I think they're all right, you know. But the Women's Super League returns on the 5th of September, so this, this week coming. Um, and it is all set to be a really, really good season, I think, because you've got a top three who are, <laughs> well, a top two who are stacked, top three who are pretty heavyweight, and also the, the chasing pack are strengthening as well. It's a bit difficult for Arsenal, isn't it? Because they've been slightly... With just with this, the spending firepower of mm. Chelsea and City, Arsenal have been slightly nudged to the side, which is a shame given the football they've played. But I think it's one of those ones where it's like, it's a cyclical, it's a cyclical thing. Wolfsburg now, I think they've enjoyed their time and Arsenal have enjoyed their time. But, you know, for now, just for now, Chelsea are coming. This could be Chelsea's time. I agree. Uh, let's take a break. Let's do it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All right, we're back from the break and we're going to talk about the Community Shield. Should I drop the cliche in? The curtain raiser of the new season. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Arsenal against Liverpool, or Liverpool against Arsenal, I should say. Arsenal beating Liverpool 5-4 on penalties and two games at Wembley, well, three games at Wembley, technically for for Mikel Arteta as a head coach and two trophies. Now, it is going to be really easy to draw huge sweeping conclusions from this game. Whereas Liverpool lost last season's Community Shield on penalties and it didn't really mean a lot. This felt different. Oh no, he's this, done it. He's done this it. Felt, you're not going to say it. I'll say it. This felt different. And first of all, it was more important, I think, that Arsenal won on penalties than they won 1-0. You think? Because if they'd, yeah, if they'd won 1-0, early lead, hanging on, Liverpool barrage, but United, but, uh, sorry, ha-ha, uh, <laughs> and slip, Arsenal scraped through. This way, the fact it goes to penalties, I was like, I almost did a poll on Twitter thinking, who actually thinks Arsenal's going to win this shootout? Because it was almost like normal service was going to be resumed. Mm. But the fact that Arsenal stood tall, the fact that penalties were so confident and the fact that Alisson did not get near any six of the efforts, including Aubameyang's goal, to me, that was hugely significant psychologically for Arsenal. And also the way that Liverpool greeted the defeat, those was, you know, I'm not a sort of psychologist, but just looking at those pictures after yeah. those images, that was a set of genuinely furious players. They are angry at that defeat. And you know what I think it is? I think there's a slight fear that Man City are coming. All these teams that got an absolute hiding will be tough for this time around. And Klopp has been drumming into them that the repeat title is going to be really, really hard. Mm. And that felt significant. And some might say, oh no, it's just a friendly. No, it wasn't a friendly because they didn't compete as if it was a friendly. And the effort to integrate all those new players like Minamino, Jones, Brewster, he's trying to bring those new players in. Minimino looked quite good, actually. Yeah, he did, yeah. But is, is Naby Keita ever going to be actually as good as he was in his Leipzig days? I'm not sure. Are Liverpool actually going to step up without a fresh 
injection of talent. I'm not sure. This, this, and also here's the final thing to say about why it felt different. The manner in which Arsenal construct attacks is hugely encouraging. Yeah. Not just playing out from, back, from the back, but also from wide areas, mm. right? The, Will- the Willock header, the Willock miss was really impressive because although he missed it, it was a conventional British English centre forward type attack. The kind of thing that Giroud must be watching and thinking, hang on a minute. Like, where was that? Why did I get binned off? Yeah, where was, yeah, Giroud looking going, hang on a minute. Arsenal now are playing like the Arsenal I was signed to play for. So yeah, there was a lot that was encouraging there for Arsenal. Um, and the final thing to say about the Arsenal goal, gorgeous, gorgeous strike. And the fact that Liverpool knew it was coming this time and couldn't stop it. This is the thing for me, right? This yeah. is the thing, because it was an absolute carbon copy almost in terms of how it was built right. to the Man City goal. Now, I know a lot of people have talked about this on Twitter, but I actually thought it was better than the Man City goal. And there's a couple of reasons. A, Liverpool know that it's coming, like you said. Right. They would have seen Arsenal score a couple of goals like that already under Arteta. Yeah. They were pressed really high and there was one moment. This is always the thing, I think, which Arsenal have struggled with in the past and they struggled with it at times on the weekend as well. It, was, it wasn't like they were all of a sudden Barcelona 2011. But right. the thing that I found really encouraging was there was a pass played by El Neni. Yeah. Who hasn't been there until recently. He was on loan all last season. He's dropped back into the deep midfield role and took to it really easily. But yeah, having El Neni there playing the pass back out. And then I think it was Rob Holding played the ball out to he- uh, Bellerin. And Bellerin's pass down the line wow. to Saka was a carbon copy of the Kieran Tierney pass clipped down the wing to Aubameyang that happened in the semi-final and the final. Yes. Yes. So when you have two options on both sides, that's a problem because usually you have, well, you have an option on both sides, sorry. Because usually you'll have one side, we found it last season with Arsenal when Bukayo Saka was playing left and Tierney was left, everything was down Arsenal's left-hand side. So you, it's easy to, to, it's not easy to defend against, but you can build a system to squeeze that side because you know that they don't have the threat on the other side. When you start adding the same threat on both sides, exactly. that's a problem. Amazing. And it's a major problem. And I think the fact that, that Saka had gone to the right-hand side this time again, was super encouraging. And I actually quite like him there. And that pass pass. was beautiful because it was, as soon as the ball came to him, I was watching it and I was like, this is on. And how many times do we see passes like this? Just fall a little bit short, the defender heads away. It's no problem. But I just thought that the, the, the whole construction of that goal was so perfect from start to finish. And as you say, the fact that teams now know that that's coming and yet still can't defend against it. And this is, one of, this is the best defensive side in the Premier League last season. Yeah. One of the best defensive sides in Europe for the last couple of years, with probably the world's best defender in it, and one of the world's best pressing front threes. And yet, they didn't, you know, they didn't land a glove in a box in the They were nowhere near it. They were no, this was, this <clears> is, your analysis of it is spot on. The thing about it is, if we look what Arsenal did, Arsenal used the entire field. Yep. They used all the space, they used all the parts. You know what it is? It's like, um, it's like making an amazing meal using only the offcuts. Mm. You know, they, they use all the parts of the pitch that are unfashionable, the extreme flanks, the extreme flanks and the extreme byline. Mm-hmm. So playing out from the back like that, you know, that's almost like a dead zone. Who creates anything from that from, space? From really? three yards out, basically. Martinez was in his own six yard box when that happened. Yeah. yeah. And the margin for error, astonishingly small, especially down the flanks to play that curving pass. There's actually a moment, don't know who it is, but someone sees what's going to happen yep. and tries to leap towards, ends up off the field, Liverpool player. I think it was Milner. At, and sees the ball because Milner's, Milner's old pro. Yeah, Milner's clocked, clocked like, that, yeah. Milner's is thousand because times. He's, 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 but also he's yeah. played inside the play like that. Right, right. So he sees it and he leaps towards it and he's like, it's that moment, it's like the assassins in the movie, like they're already dead. Mm. They're already dead. Like, and the thing about it is, it's the funny thing about how the goal was scored and the incredible thing about it is that you have the best defender in the world and you take him out of the equation twice. Mm-hmm. First with the crossfield pass that soars over his head, so you've got to turn his head. And then a Aubameyang on the edge of the box. And I wonder how many conversations were like, you haven't got to take on Virgil because you can score from there. Like, you don't need to get into that zone. It's almost like this in basketball where you don't need to go into certain areas mm-hmm. 
because you can hurt them from three. You haven't got to go into the paint. It's like Van Dyke is the best center in basketball. Just don't go and yeah. don't go and fight him. Don't go for a layup. Draw him out. And this is the thing now. Now people are going to look at it and be like, because you look, Arsenal have drawn out Van Dyke before. Mm-hmm. You look at that game they won in the Premier League. Well, okay, look, you can say that Liverpool was slack, but I felt, and I know they were, but even at the time, even at the time, I thought, I wonder if people are going to start trying to use the greatest strength of a club as the greatest weakness. So the pressing, Liverpool's greatest strength is their pressing, right? So you use that as their weakness. If they want to press you, leave a very small margin for error. But if you get them, the rewards are huge because I remember I watched that goal, like many of you watched it several times. I thought to myself, oh my God, they look like they're on a string. Mm-hmm. They look like they're on an absolute string. This is, and they're, they're brilliant. And to be honest, if any other team, not as good as Arsenal at that, tries that, they're going to get absolutely hammered. And which is why there's a part of me, there's a grim part of me, which is slightly looking forward to, <laughs> I said this on Twitter, I'm looking forward to the first understrength team that Liverpool play at home because they are going to reap the absolute whirlwind. <laughs> and I think in a weird kind of way, I need to stop saying this. I need to stop saying that Arteta is having statement victories after a certain point. Yeah, but I, I mean, think that's Ar- fair though, because it's, it's, it is. it's so, it's, it's a, it's a, an area that Arsenal have really struggled with for a long, long time, especially away from home. Now I know that three of these mm. last four statement victories have come on neutral ground. Yeah. Um, but it's still not at home. And yeah, that's true. That's very true. Against yeah. sides that are supremely more stacked than they are. Yeah. The thing that I found really, really encouraging about the game on the weekend, probably more so than the goal actually, was that there was a moment when they tried to do a similar pattern of play. And I think Rob Holding made a pass that ended up getting deflected out of play for an Arsenal throw-in. And three Arsenal players all at the same time, I think it was maybe Bellerin, Jacker, and David Luiz, you could see them all talking to Rob Holding about what the option was. Wow. Which means that there is a plan that's, there. That's big. That's big. And it was quite animated. It wasn't like they weren't going at him. They weren't having to go at him. They were like, you know, it was very casual. Like, hey, Rob, like next time, come back, go back to Emmy and then go over as opposed to playing that thing. And the fact that all, it was like two or three of them at the same time did that. I was like, they're being drilled really hard in training here. Do you know what we're realising with this Arsenal team? We're realising how much Guardiola and why hated losing him. Yep. We're really seeing it now. We're, Arteta was interesting as a footballer because I always felt there was an extra gear in him or an element that was unfulfilled. And now I think it's becoming clear the extra element wasn't on the pitch, it was off it. Mm-hmm. His ideas and also the confidence he gives people, like just hearing him talk about the penalty shootout, and how Reese Nelson basically was like, really wanted it. So he's like, he had to take it first. The confidence of the penalties. And then here's the, the Maitland-Niles thing is interesting because Maitland-Niles had a great game and people are saying he shouldn't go. It's actually interesting, this. Arteta is such a good coach that whether Maitland-Niles stays or leaves, he will coach someone to the quality of those performances, whether he stays or goes. Like, this is the, I, think, I think that as great, and I think he's a great prospect, Maitland-Niles, he's a fine player. Arteta, each time I see him coach, each time I pay attention closer to what he's doing, whether he's doing a press conference, whether he's doing a post-match interview, whether he's talking to players, you know, during a drinks break, I'm more and more impressed by him. Yeah, I I, I think he's, I think actually he, and this is the cliche, in an era where managers are the great signings of the era, he could be one of the most impressive in recent times. Mm. He's so, so good. Each time I see it, and I know I'm a United fan, so I've got more liberty to get excited. He is, I, I tweeted actually, he is coaching this team beautifully at the moment. And it's all part of a process. And I think yeah. that's the thing. I think the thing, that, the thing that Arteta's arrival at Arsenal bought was time. Yeah. Because people will buy into something when there is a clear identity there or if they feel more attached to it on an emotional level. Yeah. You know, you kind of saw it at Manchester United. And I think this is what someone like Unai Emery could just never get at Arsenal. And you've seen it at a number of appointments at other clubs. You know, David Moyes never got it at Manchester United because it was almost like when you have legacy managers leave, it's kind of like 
this is a really kind of slightly dark analogy. It's like your parents divorcing when you're an adult and then all of a sudden one of them has got a new partner and is just acting like... Laying down the law. Yeah. He's laying down the law. Wow. It's like, you're not my real dad. So interesting. It's that kind of energy. Like, you're not my, you're not my real dad, Moisey. God, imagine coming with that energy. No, when you put it that way, I can't imagine coming with that energy. You'd be so hands-off. That's the thing. And that's why maybe these like former players that come into these places, they come, they come here with a kind of like, it's like a hands-off respect. I'm just here. I'm just passing through. I'm here to make good work. You know, there's a lower expectation on one level, but there's a higher expectation on another, which is like restoring identity in this era when it's harder to win trophies than ever. Mm. Restoring identity, actually, if that's going to be like one of the trophies, that's a very high expectation. Yeah, definitely. Because it's so, it's so subjective. It's not like you can't just put Europa League on the shelf and be like, okay, I've done it. That's why Mourinho has never won. Mourinho actually, you know, Louis van Gaal won an FA Cup and Mourinho won uh, a Europa League. And neither are remembered that fondly as managers. Why? Because actually, what did they really restore? Yeah, that's true. Van Gaal, Van Gaal to an extent, but actually in the new era, it's, is my club playing like Arsenal again? Is my club playing like United again? United definitely are. Mm. Arsenal definitely are. This is Arsenal. And this is the thing about it, which this is what's really exciting and interesting about Arteta. He understands that identity is everything, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why he can keep players in on form alone because people are not so attached now to that name and that name and that name. And also because I said he's such a good coach and has such strong belief in his own abilities, he's like, I can coach 95% of this squad to the equivalent level, with the exception of like Aubameyang, because he's just an interstellar talent. With the exception of Aubameyang, pretty much everyone else in this squad, I can coach to around the same level. Mm. So that means that nobody's place is safe. Mm. But to be honest, if Aubameyang had like four or five shockers, he'd get a rest. Yeah. He wouldn't get dropped, he'd get a rest. Yeah. But that is what's beautiful about Arteta. Arteta has reintroduced, how do I explain this? I used to run a, I used to run a poetry night years ago, right? And we used to book amazing acts back to back. And someone said, a friend's partner came along and said, I love your poetry night because it's reintroduced fear into performance. Yeah. And what Arteta has done in the best possible way is reintroduce fear into the squad. Yeah, you got to step up, otherwise you got to step off. I love that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> the wider thing about this, which I would look at, is something you touched on then. And I think that not wanting to go too overboard with the symbolism of this, but I thought, I, I think the thing about Klopp and Arteta lining up against each other at the moment is they really represent two. Okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit. I think you have, yeah. you have a personality manager of Mourinho. Yeah. That starts to get phased out with the introduction of the master tactician manager, which is Pep. Right. Pep is like the figurehead of that master tactician era. It's science. I think then in the kind of lineage, if you like, Klopp comes after Pep. Klopp is this kind of post-tactician, intangible hybrid. I think Klopp is massively underrated still as a tactician because he has such a big personality. Which is a weird thought, but still, yeah. But it's not the culture of personality that came when Mourinho arrived from Porto to Chelsea. That was a very different thing. Yeah. And what I think is happening with Arteta, and I think there are a few managers probably coming in around him as well that, that also fit into that. I'd maybe include Solskjaer in that as well. Maybe. I'm not too sure yet because I think that, I think Solskjaer is slightly different and I can't figure out really why. And I also think Lampard is a little bit different, but I think Arteta, in his first press conference as Arsenal manager, he, he kept saying a lot of stuff that was essentially just talking about intangibles, feeling, a culture, almost like energy. And I think that this is something that I find really interesting now is that you've, we've progressed through this. It's about me. It's about the tactics. With Arteta, there's something there where I think we're moving into where he's like, he really gets how important it is to actually play well. He also gets so much outside of the pitch and places as much importance on that as he would do triangles or transition play because he knows that one can't exist without the other. Or if one doesn't exist, then you can't maximise the other. Does that make right. sense? Or Absolute just, sense. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm completely, I'm actually thinking about this as well and forming a thought. So I think what you, see, what you saw before that, and I would put people like Unai Emery, Kovac, a lot of these other kind of players who went, uh, these other managers who went to clubs that were quite big, following on from quite successful periods and didn't really nail it. They're almost kind of operating with the mentality of like 2009 Pep, but it's, we've moved past that now. We have moved past that. And you saw that with Hansi Flick. We've talked about this a number of times, so we'll move on quickly about this. But Hansi Flick was like, I know what you're good at. Let's put everything back in its right place. I wonder as well. Now, this makes complete sense. And I, in terms of evolutions, mm. 
In the same way that, and this is a bit of a hot take, but it's what I've been feeling for a little while. In the same way that Guardiola had this astonishing team and Klopp came and poked holes in it. You had Pochettino poking holes. I wonder if Arteta is going to be one of the coaches that pokes holes in Klopp. Not that Klopp's are amazing, but in everything in football, there's a cycle, right? And notice how there was a point where, and Klopp had this impact on a few managers. He did this to Pellegrini, but he was a better coach than him. He did it to obviously Guardiola. Poch was the first to do it to Pep. I wonder if Arteta is going to be someone who people are like, oh, here's a way. Mm. But also in the process, and that's not saying that he will overcome, it's a slightly bittersweet analogy because of course Poch didn't overcome Guardiola or Klopp, didn't have the resources, didn't have all the rest of it, all the other intangibles. But I wonder if Arteta actually will be someone that helps push Klopp to greater heights. I think there's a nice respect there. Did you see the angle when they were showing Klopp's reaction to the goal? No, I didn't see. No, no, and no. And he basically no. just kind of was just like, hmm, you know, smiled and was like, <laughs> you, know. Like, Ooh. you know what it's like? It's like when Neo in the second Matrix film fights the agents and he's like, oh, upgrades. Yeah. It's like that moment. It's like, <laughs> the thing that I thought about it was a little bit dark. It was like uh, in the dark night when the Joker's in the hospital visiting Harvey Dent <laughs> and Harvey Dent gets his coin out and the Joker just goes, now we're talking. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is incredible. <laughs> That's the perfect analogy. Yes, yes, he's because, loving it. Yeah, because I actually think that managers like Klopp, managers like Pep, I think all of the top managers want their rivals to be strong. I don't think they enjoy their rivals being way off the pace because I they think they enjoy it. the yeah. competition. Klopp said about the possibility of Messi going to Man City. He was just like, we're not sure it's the Premier League needs another boost, but it's going to be a massive boost for the Premier League. And if he goes to Man City, then it's going to be amazing, basically. He is actively pro, probably the greatest player of all time, going to a direct rival. But that's how it is. Having Messi in the Premier League is a new problem. And I think there's a part of Klopp that kind of loves it. He loves the, and this is what Bob Paisley was like as well. I've drawn the analogy before. Yeah. Bob Paisley kind of liked it when his players were a bit angry and a bit upset. Yeah. You know, Klopp, Klopp is thinking already, oh, I can use this. Yeah. Like, I, I can use this. You've been done by City. You've been done by Arsenal twice. You're the, Premier, you're the record Premier League champions. And what's that, what's that amazing thing that someone said? Was it Milner who said, we're not looking to defend the league title. We're looking to go out and attack it. That's a really good quote. And I was like, wow. I, I heard that and I thought, I knew this was the energy. I could sense, I didn't know that quote was coming, but I was like, I could sense that was the attitude they had. Like, yeah. what, was, what was that quote with Sampaioli using the biggest, one of the biggest cliches <laughs> in football history? Argentina playing against um, France. And he said, we're going to go out and play this game with a knife between our teeth. Mm. And I was like, that is incredible. That's the mentality, I think. And Liverpool have that. Really excited. So yeah, great Community Shield game. Loved it. And can't wait for the, uh, the onset of the quote marks real football. Let's take another break. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, we're back from the break for the final part. And uh, before we get on to questions, shout out to Jenny Vu, the legend <laughs> is Jenny Vu, who just hipped us to this most amazing thing. So Joy Club, which is this kind of German, kind of erotic sex community thing, <laughs> right? Is that the best way to say it? Never say this podcast doesn't give you all your needs or your vitamins. <laughs> it has 3.5 million members. Amazing. I'm just, I'm, I'm literally on their website right now. This sounds so weird. But uh, 
800,000 daily visitors, of which now I am one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, they did a poll of basically like the sexiest Bundesliga managers. Guess who came top? Marco Rosa. Marco Zer Zerotish Rosa. I mean, like, it was, why do you need, need a poll for that? The surprising thing was Julian Nagelsmann came second. Came second. Very interesting. <laughs> They're very interesting. <laughs> Get me out of here. Get oh, me out no. of here. I'm out of control. Oh, my goodness. So who was is, who is, who is third then? Peter Bosch. I think that's, a, that's probably their daddy thing, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Can I say that? Yes, you already have. You already have. <laughs> you know, I'm all for Marco Rosa winning related to his, his uh, handsomeness. But Stadio called it. Stadio was ahead of the curve. The golden question is, this is the golden question right here. What ifs? This is the question. This is, this is, the, this is the question. How bold, how brave will the Gladback Twitter account be? Will they acknowledge, even with a luck, will they like the tweet? Oh, I think, I think they have to. They have to acknowledge it. They've got to be all over that. Uh, do you know what I'm doing right now? <laughs> You're tagging them in it. At Gladback. <laughs> With the uh, little smirky side emoji. Yeah, that's amazing. That is a, you- Gladback love us, though. They do, they do. There you go. Done. <laughs> amazing. Were we on the ringer at this point? When we did the Marco Rosa thirst chat and we posted the video of it and tagged Gladback in it and they... <laughs> <laughs> and they just sent back, they replied to us with the thirstiest picture of Rosa. Incredible. It was very, very funny. Oh, what a beautiful man. He is a very beautiful man. I've told you, man, this is like my, uh, my equivalent of Moose's, I was in Brazil doing a documentary story, yeah. is when I was sat at the Hertha press conference and Marco Rosa looked me right in the eye and I legit swooned. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest day of my life. Amazing. Uh, I'm gonna, I like this question from Michael Cotton. If you had the funds to buy a football club, who would you choose? Would you invest in a European giant to continue the success or a struggling team to reverse their fortunes? That's an amazing question. Wow. Oh, I think it'd be somewhere in France. Would you? Yeah. I think it'd be somewhere like Nantes. Like, do you know why? I really love, I love the French language. I love the food. I love the, you know, and I, I, love, the, I love what Nantes, Nantes voice stood for. I love the idea of like kind of turn not into like, like a French Sevilla, a team that like might go deep in the Champions League now and again, but always shows up strong in the Europa League and then just basically provides, it's a club where, do you know what? It's a club where I'd love to put loads of money into Nantes and invest properly, have a men's team, women's team, and then like be like, no matter how long your kid spends at this club, we'll take care of them. So when the parents turn up, we're like, look, they do it really properly. Like welcome, when you welcome the kid to the club, like welcome the entire family, bring them in, have a meal, whatever. Like this is a community, you're always welcome here. And set up as a kind of like, a kind of community where one season or 20, you're always a nonce player. Mm. Like I, I think that would be a really lovely thing to do just to sort of build that's that. Really, that's really, that's really, think really not, sweet. Not would be the one. There's three choices for me and they're all quite obvious. The first one would be someone like Gladbach. Because you take a club there that has the history and the setup and the kind of a real soul. Yeah. You just level them up a bit so that they can go after a, let's say, they can go after a Thomas Partey. Right. And they can pay a 50 million euro transfer fee. You know, that kind of glad back. Yeah. Because I really think that you could then push them towards genuine title contention. Great shout. Yeah. I really think Gladbach have the potential to slowly mould into a, a bit of a powerhouse if, they, if they're clever. Right. My other one is basically down to the, the current situation, really, and that was basically save Valencia. I'd invest in Valencia because Valencia are a mess and they're one of the great clubs in Europe, one of the most amazing stadiums I've ever been to, Mestalla, and I don't like seeing them like this at the moment. They're basically like Malaga. Yeah. And that makes me really sad because... Let's get real. Like, if you just kind of cut the bullshit, this is Valencia. Valencia. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when you say the name Valencia, it holds such a weight that not a lot of football clubs in the world do. 
this may be a little bit of a side point, but I think La Liga's in a bit of a mess right now. I agree. I agree completely. So that was my shout for Valencia. And finally, if I had enough money to buy Arsenal, I would love to do that. Give it back to the people. I'd give everyone their uh, shares back as well. You know, make it fan-owned. You know what's incredible? Taking United back off the Glazers. Yeah. And then owning Newcastle. The only, if I was a Newcastle fan, obviously if I was a Newcastle fan, you can't, say, you can't, you can't, you can't have two teams yes, in the Premier League. The, the, the the pri- the, no, the, pri- the priority would be, yeah, like they've just been through a lot of those, you know, those, especially those match going supporters, they've been through a lot. Like, you know, mm. it's, it's, obviously it's about, it's about like more than people that go to games. I know that, but the core of that, like people that have to go to games and see that up close and see it deteriorating, that's painful. So, and like I say, if the other thing I would say, if I was, this is just an honourable mention for Newcastle fans because I'd love them to get an owner oh, God, who just went. Too, yeah, man. that would just be so oh, amazing. Actually, do you know what? Newcastle is a huge shout. I don't know. I mean, if I, if I was looking at a Premier League club. They're amazing. I would 100% look at Newcastle. 100%. And the, you know, in, here's the thing. Was, was with about five years, in about a five-year plan, you could do something so exciting there. Mm. Put in Poch. Get Poch oh, in. God. Oh, Poch. Oh, actually, speaking of Poch, we need to set each other an assignment to complete by next Monday so we can talk about it because <laughs> you're going away for a few days but That's we've right. recorded a what if episode that will go up on Thursday um, so bar any surprise Lionel Messi movements we won't be recording until next Monday we need to watch that Spurs documentary and then oh we'll goodness. talk about it next week <laughs> okay how many parts is it probably not enough <laughs> <laughs> having seen the clip of Jose saying stupid C words and the look of um Ericsson's cut to fat camera being like, you know, big kind of like, my name's Christian Ericsson. You're probably wondering how I got here. Yeah, it? exactly. <laughs> oh God. Um, oh, just straight into my veins, please. As many episodes as you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Inject it. Um, we had one from Joey Kinney who said, with the Bundesliga coming to ESPN Plus in the States this year, what sort of things would be helpful for the uninitiated viewer to know going into the season that might help provide context, pick a team, follow a player, etc.? What I would say to that, Joey, is that we recorded an episode a while ago called The Bundesliga is Back. And we kind of did a little bit on there about teams because that was, at the time that was the only league that was back. Yeah. If you want to go and check that episode, that gives you a little bit of context. But if not, we'll probably save that for a season preview. Yeah. Yeah, because um, a lot of clubs are moving in terms of signings and stuff like that. So. <laughs> I, just had, I just had a funny thought. Go on. <laughs> about the Bundesliga. The happiest team in the Bundesliga is Mainz because Timo Werner has now left. <laughs> I know. Oh, used to score like. Ah, like guys, ah. I think we could pick up a point this year. Of like, <laughs> Can you imagine the WhatsApp group when Timo Werner finally left? Just the whew, emoji. Uh, we have one from Andrew Blair. Maybe we can wrap on this as a little bit of an update on the um, the Messi situation. Yeah. He says that now with La Liga getting involved in the Messi situation, can any of this end well for Barca and the league? Now, for those who don't know, La Liga came out and said that you know basically he can't leave for free and that he has to be sold for the 700 million euro release clause, which they were always going to do. There was no way that La Liga were going to side with the biggest marketing asset for the league in terms of an individual player exiting the league. That is not what La Liga do. They are in so much trouble, La Liga. Actually, can I just- They really are, you know, they really are. All their 39th game, all their Classico. Here's the thing, the unspoken truth, the unspoken thing, when everyone said the Classico abroad, Barca Real Madrid, what they really meant was Ronaldo v Messi. Yeah. Like if you tell everyone Barca are playing Real, they'll be like, if there's no Ronaldo, okay, who's playing? Messi's playing, great. That is how you sell this game abroad. If Messi leaves, the 39th game becomes a joke. Mm. La Liga, this is the scary thing for them. They must be terrified. They must have looked at the potential viewing figures and just thought our numbers fall off a cliff without Messi. They do. Mm-hmm. They would fall off a cliff anyway. This is going to happen two years from now. This is the, the day they've been dreading has come two years earlier and they thought it would actually happen. I don't like banging this drum over and over again, but this is what happens when you prioritise a couple of teams at the very top of the league. Yeah. The difference in revenue that Barcelona and Real Madrid get compared to the rest of the clubs in La Liga is just, it's borderline criminal. Yeah. Especially when you get to the bottom half of the league. The Premier League is obviously its own behemoth but the one thing that it has done fairly well Mm. is that the wealth goes deep yeah we take so much for granted in football this is just another example of it yeah it's like I said I was chatting to my friend Bert shout out to Bert um, who's an Ajax fan (laughs) he wants Suarez back at Ajax 
And I was just like, I really wish we lived in a world where Ajax, Messi to Ajax was a possibility or Messi to Dortmund was a possibility or Messi to Lyon was a possibility or Messi to Porto was a possibility because of the options to win the Champions League. I really wish we lived in that world. And I think that the problem that La Liga has is an extension of this kind of funneling of wealth towards the top teams. And it's nothing new. This isn't rocket science or anything, but yeah, it's really great for 10 games a season maybe. But it'd be so good if that was spread a little bit more. And I I, I wonder whether La Liga are going to have to fix up here or whether they're going to double down and just try and reboot Barca and Real Madrid as like the best two again and turbocharge them because they've got to think of something smart and unfortunately La Liga they aren't full of great ideas no this is why if a Super League was actually set up it would be in such perilous ground because all it takes with the Super League because there'd be so much hate if it did actually happen there'd be so much opposition there's so much hate all it takes is for a parallel competition to be really exciting for half a season and people start going, See actually, yeah, I don't want to play in the Super League because there's too much hate attached to it. Mm. Like breaking away from all of the clubs is just a step too far. And it's the kind of thing which I could see happening and crumbling after three years and everyone sheepishly asking to come back into regular football again. Mm. On that note. <laughs> On that cheery note. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Uh, it's, it'll be fine. Everything will be fine. It's only football. Who yeah, cares? It's always, it's always fine. It's yeah. only football. Should we get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. As ever. I hope everyone's staying safe and well. Absolutely. Um, as ever from me, um, I just hope that um, in these difficult times, everyone's staying hydrated. So important. I'm sure they are, Musa. Don't forget, check us on Twitter at Stadio, at Stadio Football on Instagram. Stadio.football is our website, but make sure you check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. I think we've both got pieces going up this week. Uh, I've got one next week, I think. Uh, okay. Yep, yep. And check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Just search for Stadio Outros. It's all the songs that we play out on each week. Speaking of which, we're playing out this one. Going out to Chadwick Boseman. Uh, the Church is Within Us, Oh Lord, by Kent Schneider. Stay well, everyone. We'll see you Thursday. See you then. There's a church within us, oh Lord. There's a church within us, oh Lord. Not a building but a soul, not a portion but a whole. There's a church within us, oh Lord. There's how people respond when they actually see it. And um, I, I'm very enthusiastic about that. 
but it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing for, for little kids, um, not just that are black, but uh, of all races, to, to see this character because I think it expands um, our consciousness and expands our minds about what a hero looks like. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.